Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Renier. Uh, when I started my consulting business around three years ago, and since then I've left this consulting business, but almost, I think, four years ago, I got inspired by companies like Buffer, and bare metrics because they were bringing transparency to an entirely new level, you know, sharing their revenue, sharing their mistakes openly, basically almost opening up to the public. And as a consequence of that, I think that all of those companies doing things transparently, Hotjar is another one. I think they do good marketing, which is really fucking impressive. And my guest today is, you might have guessed, is the founder of bare metrics which is a metrics and forecasting tool for SaaS businesses. And the interesting thing about uh, the founder of Biometrics is that he previously founded at least 10 startups, at least that's the, what he documented. And he has two other projects on the side. One of them is Rockberg, which is an online music in industry simulation game, and Cedar and Cell, which is a handmade homewares side gig. And like me, he also thinks, and like a lot of us, a lot of you uh, listening, he also thinks that uh, growth hacking is mostly manipulation. So Josh Pickford, welcome aboard. Hey, thanks for having me, Louis. Right, I'm going to start with the easiest question of the show. So how to launch a new business, right? Let's play a game. We're going we're gonna to try to simulate the situation where we are listener uh, listening to this podcast. We are either a marketer or a designer or developer. We'll decide what to do then with this information. But we want to launch a new business. We have $1,000 available to us right now, <laughs> and we want to be profitable quickly enough. Like we maybe within six months, we want to start making enough money to cover a bit of a salary of some sort. But yep. here's the caveat. We cannot use your name. You cannot use your network or what you've built so far in the, in the last you know few years that you've been in the business. So you really have to yep. start from scratch anonymously. And the big question is, how will you go about it? Whew, okay. Um, I, I kind of feel like that was the case with bare metrics, but not totally. So, um, I, I think like what it comes down to more than anything at all, like on the, on the, as a baseline, uh, you have to be solving like a legit problem. Okay. So, and not just this, like, you know, it's the whole, everybody talks about like, you know, are you, are you selling like pain pills or vitamins? Like you, you have to be solving something that need, like that's, that's an actual pain and not just sort of like a nice to have. I think the nice to haves become a lot easier to like to sell when you do kind of have a name or some sort of like history or branding or whatever. But if you're talking anonymously from scratch with no, basically zero budget, how do you get something out there? Like the baseline is like, you have to be solving a substantial problem. Right. And um, let me clarify just the, the terms you use because they're interesting. So you, you talk about painkillers and vit or vitamins. So what do you mean by yeah. that? So let's try to think of a, of a, of a real world example here. So um, let's think in terms of uh, selling something to other businesses. So a vitamin would be something that like the business does not need um, to function. Like it's like things like I don't know, like updating social profile um, bios or something like that. Like it's okay. okay so like whatever, like you, maybe there's some handy way to like automatically update social profiles based on what you're doing or something. You could like automate that and um, 
but like whatever, like that's not actually a problem. Like nobody's has that problem really. So you could do it technically, but like you're gonna have a hard time making anybody pay for that. Um, but take like, okay, let's take the social thing further. Um, you think of like buffer that you mentioned earlier. Well, okay. So they're solving like a major pain of like companies needing to like have a presence on social media that, you know, doesn't like, they don't forget about and like, they're able to like, keep, um, like build up their social media following and, um, keep adding value there. Like that's a lot of, that's a thing that like people hire people to do full time, like the, you know, social media marketer or whatever you want to call them. Like that thing buffers tool can potentially replace an employee, you know, or, um, like it's saving people lots of money or helping them make money. So it's solving this major pain. And, and so it's like, you have to think like on a larger scale, like something that makes a bigger impact than I, I think a lot of times the problem that new entrepreneurs have is like, they think that building some like little tool is means that like they've got a, a business that they can scale. And it's just not the case. Like you've, you've got to like build something that does something um, that substantially impacts the business. Okay. So step one, we try to identify a, a pain, like something that is actually really painful. And let's, let's go through the process of potentially discovering problems around you, uh, that you might have, uh, you know, a business about, and it's not necessarily a new entrepreneur launching something new. It could be somebody in a, in a company coming up with a, a feature idea or even a product idea sure. based on pains, right? So it doesn't necessarily have to be an indie hackers per se who has to come right, up with right, that. Right. So how would you, how do you typically advise people to go about this first step, like to find out problems that are very painful? Yeah. So I think the easiest way to find those problems is to experience them yourself. That's the long way to do it. It's, you know, people want this like framework for like finding pains of, and that can be a new entrepreneur or even within a company, like the, like what people think in their head is the easiest thing to do is to like, talk to some customers, ask the customers what they want. And then like that just surfaced what they need to build. And it's not, it's not the case at all. People are terrible at like verbalizing what it is that they need. Yes. Um, and I'm glad you said that. I'm sorry to cut you, but I remember reading yeah, a blog post about it and I nearly sent you an email, but I didn't. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we're going to have a discussion about this right now. But exactly as you said, why, for example, in my job, in my daily job, I do keep a, a, a note in my, in, on my Mac, you know, with the smaller application uh, notes. Every time I go through a pain that I really can't solve, I couldn't find any tools doing it. And I just hired a, like, let's say a freelancer to help us. So we had to come up with a, a process and hack things together to make it work. And I do keep notes of that. So I probably have 10 or 12 at this stage, which is not huge, right? But those are the small things that you pick up over time. And as you said, it takes time, but you pick them up and one day you, you find that this pain is something that you, you can actually solve, right? Totally. And I think like, so the way that I do this or we do this at bare metrics is we keep a running, I mean, we've got documents. We've got a document for basically every high level feature in bare metrics. So that, you know, there's like a dozen of these documents and anytime a customer mentions something about like wanting this thing added or this thing changed about whatever feature, um, or they wish this feature could do that or this or whatever. We, we make a note of it and then we just sort of let it go. I mean, like we don't take any action on it at the time other than making a note of it. And so then what we can do from that is over time, you know, we revisit these documents 
as we work on the product. So we work in like cycles. And so each cycle will revisit these documents and see if we can find some higher level commonalities amongst them so that we can see like, okay, they're saying, you know, people are requesting, you know, um, features or changes X, Y, and Z. But if we put these things together, what they're really saying is, you know, they, they're like, they're having trouble with doing this inside their business. So we can group these things together and solve them by doing, you know, building out whatever. So I think like, I think listening to customers is obviously super important, but it's, you can't take things at face value. Like people will say, here's what, if you just had this in the, in the product, then, you know, we would pay for it or like we would stay a customer or we'd be so happy or whatever. But that's typically not the case. Like there's typically a, there's a deeper problem that they're actually trying to get at. And it's, I would say it's, you know, in this case, it's my job to like figure out what it is that they're actually saying. Right. And, and this is the point that I want to make is like, you're definitely right when you say, if you ask people what they want or customers, what they want, you're going in the right direction, in the wrong direction. And we talked about this right. in this podcast a few times. It's not about trying to ask them what they want. Cause as you said, people are terrible at that, but however, yeah. they are very, very good at explaining their problems and what they suffer from today. So they are able to think about the past and what they've done, and they are able to, t- to talk about the present. But if you ask them about what you would like to have, this is usually a question that will lead to terrible answers because people are very bad at pre- like uh, planning ahead what, what they like to do. But they can say, listen, I have this big pain uh, doing this process or whatever. It takes me ages. It costs uh, an arm and a leg. I, I, I really wish you know I could do that in a simpler manner. And that usually leads to to the right type of innovation. Right. And I think innovation is the key there. It's like, well, I mean, there's like that quote, I think it's Henry Ford or it might be like misattributed there. I don't, but like about like, if you asked people what they wanted a long time ago, like they would tell you they wanted a faster horse and it's like, well, no, the car solves the problem of like you know, getting somewhere faster. But like at that time, like the customers can't even like imagine the concept of a car, you know? Right. And so that's, it's your job to like, figure out what it is they actually want, whether that's like they want to get to their destination faster. How do we get there faster? It doesn't mean take the current solution and make it more better. It means it might mean innovating some entirely new thing that other people haven't done before. Yeah. Um, and and, and you know. actually, Henry Ford never said this quote. I remember reading. Okay, that's fact. what I, th- I feel like I had I had yeah. read that some that's actually that isn't but everybody thinks that he did, but he didn't. Whatever, but you know. The point of this quote is interesting is because, yeah, if you ask what they want, they, they can't really come up with a solution. But they are able to say, well, you know, it takes me three fucking days to go from New York to, to Chicago. You know, I wish I would go there faster. Right. And that that might lead you to then thinking ahead in terms of the t- type of solution you can come up with. So let's go back yeah. to the to the small challenge I, I, I started with you. And let's get a bit more specific. One of my big pain right now uh, as a podcaster um, is that I really struggle to promote the podcast outside of just interviewing mm-hmm. guests and asking them to to promote it for me just to share it once. I, I don't have time for it. I have a full-time job. And therefore, I really wish I could have a way to select the best bits of each episode and and, and publish them on a recurring basis on like communities and, and all of that to, to keep promoting the podcast. So it's beyond just buffer. It's like selecting the right bits in the podcast putting them in a nice visual format and then sharing them not only on social media, but also on maybe communities like indie hackers. Right. So let's say that this is the pain we are trying to solve, right? Like what would be the step two after that? So basically like you've built the thing and now 
what do we do about it? Let's say, let's say that. Let's say not necessarily we have built a thing, but we're thinking about potentially solving this. And oh, like how do you validate it? For example, yes. I mean, that's up to you to come up with the step, right? But um, sure. it's, yeah, how do you validate it might be a very, a very nice step too. I, so I think like, okay, so say you've got this idea um, and you think that you're solving a pain. I mean, so to me, this is the big difference between like someone you would say is like, has lots of great ideas and then like somebody who's can like actually execute on them. Mm-hmm. I think like execution is ultimately like the missing piece that like that separates say like an entrepreneur from like the cheesy entrepreneur, like the person who just wants to be an entrepreneur, but like they can't make anything happen. It's the difference is like the ability to execute. So to me, there's no other like real validation or like the only next step after you think you've got this pain or you know, or are aware of this pain that needs some sort of solution is to just like make the solution on a really basic level. Otherwise, like you're, you're stuck having these like high level conceptual conversations with people instead of like, and again, like we just established that people don't, they're, they're terrible at knowing how to solve their own problems. So instead, like you have to give them a, a solution. It may be kind of, maybe it's going to be rough around the edges. It's not going to do all the things that they want, but like on a base level, on a, like as simple as possible, it's got to solve the problem. And the only way that you can like validate that, that it can solve the problem is by offering the solution, okay. like letting them see if it solves it. So if I'm a, if I'm a developer or a designer with a bit of knowledge of like putting, you know, I can put something together that's yeah. quite online, but I guess even if I'm a marketer or just someone who's looking to, to launch that, what are the avenues there to, 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 to hack a solution together, to put a solution together that, that might be a first version of a solution you're dreaming about? Yeah. So I think people overthink this. So I think, you know, certainly, I mean, with bare metrics, the first version, and I, I can do all the things like I built the entire functioning first version of bare metrics, but I think like, I, th- I think best case is yes, you figure out how to code like that will always serve you well for the rest of your career. Having the ability to like do some really basic coding will always be a good thing and you should do it. Now, if you don't want to do that, fine. You can even go f- use a tool like, um, I don't know, like, um, Envision or I think like Webflow or something like that, like where you can basically like, if you can design something, a basic UI, then you can like fake interactions and you can like, you know, I, I know in Envision, which we use this a lot for just internal product markups, but um, I think Marvel's another one too, where you can basically upload designs and then like create these like hotspots on the site where you click on this and it takes you to a, basically another image. You can basically like hack together a fake app or product and show that to people or even let them click around on it and, and, and sort of like, but use that as a way to show off what you're trying to do or, or how you're trying to solve the problem. Right. Um, and th- that's a nice, something solution. tangible. Yes. And this is what, this is where I wanted to go. And you're right. When you just, when you just speak to people in a very generic manner and you never show anything and you're like, would you, would you be interested possibly in a solution like I've just described? It's, it's never going to Of course go, I say yes. Yes. Because they don't <laughs> well, want to. Well, cause you're, you're like, you're like, Hey, so if I have, if there was this tool and it solved all of your problems, would you pay for it? Well, Yeah. Of course, but you can say anything you want. Like, it doesn't matter. And yes. the other person can say whatever they want because they haven't seen anything. They have no idea what you're actually talking about. You know? 
so we have one grand available, right? Let's remember that as a, just as a way to prioritize and focus because we, we don't have a lot of money to play with. But this Envision access doesn't cost an arm and a leg. And you can, right. we, we can put a UI together that looks decent um, without overthinking it. And then you say, yep. you know, showing it to people. Uh, and I know I can hear my, the listeners already asking, okay, that's all well and good, but how the fuck do I do that? So let's go into maybe step three, which is... Who do you uh, who do you find you know how, how do you find those people to sh- to show this product to or this UI to or this hack hacked solution? Sure, to? yeah, yeah. So that varies across industries. I think there's uh, so okay. Let's let's say you're building something for gyms or something. So if you're building something for somebody who owns a gym, then you go to the gym and you talk to them, right? <laughs> like, I mean, like, well, that's it. The end. So, I mean, uh, those scenarios or those, um, those types of people like that exists in every industry. You just have to figure out, you can't just be like, well, my industry is the entire internet. Like, no, it's not. There's your first problem is like, you're, you're not focused enough. Figure out your first, who your first customers are. And it should be a very, very specific group of people. How specific? Um, As specific as you can possibly get. Like, so for us early on with bare metrics, it was like, it was Stripe customers who were using the Stripe subscription API correctly. So, you know, like that, that cut out people who weren't using Stripe or who weren't using the Stripe API subscription API, or they were using Braintree, Recurly, or some other payment processor. I mean, like that cut out a lot of those people, but like, let me focus on a specific group of people who I knew we could serve out of the box and didn't. Um, I could have gone, I guess, a little bit further and been like, you know, only companies within the healthcare industry or something like that. Like, you know, this was also four years ago. Stripe wasn't nearly as large and prolific as it was, as it is now. But um, I think like the more the, you will have an easier time finding people who you can definitely solve a problem for. If, if you have a very specific group of people, the more you like branch out, the more fragmented the feedback is going to be and the, and the larger the scope of the problem is that you'll have to fix. Not that you won't get there one day, but again, like you're not building what the product could be in like 10 years. You're building something that you can do now as quickly as possible for as little money as possible. Right. And, and do you have a, an estimate of the amount of, of companies or potential companies that were, you know, within this, this group, the very specific group of people four years ago when you started Biometrics? Um, I don't, it might've been like, I don't, I really, I can't remember off the top of my head. I mean, it was probably a thousand or something like that. Right. right. Um, so, which I mean, Stripe, we kind of were able to scale up as Stripe grew. We also were, you know, that made our target market get larger as well. So, yeah. And, and today you have integrations with Recurly, Braintree, a lot right. of other payments. We have our own API. Like you don't even have to use right. those payment processors. I mean, there's lots of options. So there's always a way to expand, but you know, you know, you yeah. need to start small uh, with a tiny amount of people. And how do you reach out to those people? So you basically said, don't be lazy or don't be afraid, get out of the building and just go talk to people. Yep. And so, I mean, whether that, if it's a physical location, yes. Like, oh, I remember uh, Patrick McKenzie who works at Stripe now, like talked about when he was building this product called appointment reminder which is for, you know, basically anybody who has clients that schedule time, whether that's like a masseuse or a haircut or, you know, uh, whatever. So he went and like basically walked into those stores, 
cold and said, can I have, here's 50 bucks for your time. Like, can I spend 30 minutes or an hour with you talking about business problems or whatever? So there's some of your thousand dollar budget. Like you can, if you pay people for their time, you're much more likely to like get some feedback, good, solid, um, insight. So go do that for whatever industry you're targeting and, uh, and just ask them to sit down to, to talk. And what do you talk about? Uh, so you're basically trying to figure out, like, you've got this hypothesis, right? Like you've, you've decided here's a, here's a pain that I think exists uh, among this type of business. So let me go see if that's actually the case. So maybe you take in, you know, your mock-ups that you've got or take in like an iPad to like, let them poke around on your, um, like hack together thing. And you say like, you know, Hey, here's, here's a problem that I think that you might have at your business. Like, could you tell me more about that? And if it is a problem, like they'll be happy to keep just, they can ramble on for it for an hour about the problem that they've got. And, and then if you can be like, Hey, here's what I think is a solution. Give it a try and let me know what you think. I mean, you could get, you could start getting sales that way, like right away. You could be like, hey, well, we're going to launch this in, you know, the next three weeks, four weeks or whatever. I'll give you a 50% off discount if you want to go ahead and sign up for the first month or something like that. Whatever. I mean, like there's lots of ways you can even start getting money right away. Yeah. And then probably it is the best, the best way to validate your idea and your, your first product is to ask for payment because yeah. you will see straight away if people were bullshitting you or not, if you ask them, Oh, sure. You know, okay. You like that. You have this pain. You said the solution was great. Okay. It's $50, you know, a month. Here is a credit card machine I brought with me or whatever, whatever you come up with. Yeah. Let's do it. And then they say, well, no, this is probably a good way to dig into the, well, no. And say, oh, okay. Why not? Totally. Right? Well, but the problem, like I think landing pages, like before you launch a product, landing pages are the most ridiculous thing. Like, So many people think like, I'm gonna put this landing page up to collect email addresses and then they're gonna keep working on their product. And then they, they keep sending people to the landing page. That's kind of obscure, maybe shows a screenshot or two, but then associate people dropping in an email address as validation for their product. Like that, look that they're collecting email addresses isn't a bad thing, but it's like using the collection of email addresses on a landing page before you launch and taking that as validation, which is insane. Like right. it's just, there's it's zero validation. Like really money is about the only way to validate but, something. But if you, if, if you describe on your landing page, the, the pain you're solving and you're showing a few screenshots and people leave their email, if you do the right thing next, i.e. building a, the right product that you promised, it is likely that some of them will turn into, into customers. No. Sure. Statistically, yes. But like you've done, like if you're using the landing page and the collection of email addresses and the the quantity of email, like, oh, I collected a thousand email addresses before uh, I even had a product. Like, yes, that can, there's some, I think there's correlation, but like the mistake is assuming that it's causation that like, like that the collection of these email addresses somehow proved that you're solving a real pain. Right. And so what happens a lot of times people collect all these email addresses then sure, they get people to sign up for their free product. And then like those people never become paying customers and they're stumped because they didn't, they weren't able to make any money off of it. Yeah. And this is, this is a nice, I think this is, this, this is the right way to say it exactly as you said. It's like, yes, they can become like free users of your product, but yeah. the, the leap between paying nothing and paying even $5 a month is actually much bigger than you think, right? The gap is huge. actually huge. Yes. 
Um, and I think like, uh, but what happens is, is like people still like people of, um, associate a free sign up as a customer and they're not, they're very much not a customer at all. Like they're, they're basically a lead to become a, a customer, but you, you can't in the same way that you can't like associate collecting an email address on a landing page, um, as, as being a, an actual customer, like a free sign up after that is still not a customer. There's still just this different version of a lead to hopefully become a paying customer someday. But like, they shouldn't have any impact on what the product is because they have nothing invested in it, right? Like they're not, they're not actually using the product. Like your product doesn't solve a pain for them enough for them to pay for it. So, you know, you still haven't validated anything. Right. I remember, I remember reading in a, in a Facebook group, not that long ago, uh, a guy who, who pre-launched a product and had a few, a few hundreds of emails. Uh, and, yeah. and, and he said, I don't understand what's going on with my convert kit, my email marketing platform, because I send this email to my, to my people who said that they will be interested in this product. Only 20% or like 15% opened the email and I only got a few purchases. So, you know, I think there is a bug with the email platform. Uh, and I was yeah. no bug. <laughs> yeah, no bug. That's how people think, right? That's how people are. Yeah. They truly don't give a shit about you, you know? And yep, totally. if you're asking them, as you said, that the only validation is money, if they are not paying for, for, for this thing, then, then you haven't validated the product. Totally. Right. Let's move on from that. Cause I think we, we've, we've gone through a nice step-by-step step and I, th- I think a lot of people will take away a few, a few things, even if they are working in a company that is much larger than, uh, than just a, a one man or one woman band, because they can also apply those, those learnings when, when it comes to innovate and finding new products or new features. Um, yep. but I want to go back to something that, uh, that I found quite quite good, and we even shared it within Hotjar. This article uh, you wrote an article in December uh, called "Growth Hacking is Manipulation," um, yeah. and I could have written it myself if I was a good writer. But it was pretty impressive uh, to see that we were sharing a lot of the same values. So, can you maybe give me a summary of of why you think this is the case? Yeah. So the impetus of that article, like sort of stems from the unending onslaught of uh, cold emails that I get from other companies who are, I mean, they're doing this stuff in mass, you know, like they've got some list of like SaaS founders or whatever. And then they just go and just send out cold emails and, you know, replace a couple of variables in the email and try to like schedule some phone call or something with me. And, or it's like things on like using Twitter to like reach out uh, and they're sending the same Twitter message to everybody they can get their hands on. And like that stuff just drives me. It's the laziest thing. I, ca- I cannot think of anything more lazy from a marketing standpoint. And it's all based around like trying like this like faux, faux interest in what I'm doing. Like a lot of times the emails, it's like they're replacing like the first, e- first sentence in the email with like, I saw this article that you wrote the other day and I loved it. Hey, you want to hop on a phone call? Like, <laughs> it's just so dumb. And uh, and lazy and ju- like, you're like trying to like act like we're buddies or something like that, just so you can hop on a phone call and like, I'm not interested, you know? And, uh, and that stuff drives me crazy because it's like, it just happened. It's a daily thing. And I, I can't like, it bothers me that anyone thinks that that's like a reliable, decent option for them, you know? So 
I could rant about that for days. Yeah, let's do this. Let's do it. Let's 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 do more of that. So, cold emails is one of the examples you're using, and and you're telling yes. you know you're telling the story of like you were off for a few days, if I remember, and then you looked at your yeah. emails and you realized the sheer amount of of yep. such emails you were receiving. By the way, I sent you a cold email to get, to get you on this <laughs> podcast, right? Right. Well, it works sometimes, but like we had some sort of connection because like you know we had talked previously about getting uh, the CEO at Hotjar on the podcast. Right. Right. Um, so it, it can work when it's not like terrible. Yeah. And you know? I wasn't asking to, to be on a call with you necessarily. You weren't selling me anything, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, but then you make the point in this article and that goes beyond cold emails and, and you talk about all of those quick wins or those shallow wins. Right. So can yep. you tell me more about this? Uh, as far like specifically, what do you mean? Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm being very, uh, generic right there. So you, you, you talk about the number of followers you have, the number of likes you get, the number of top of the funnel leads you get, all of that are just numbers and just vanity, right? Sure. Yep. yep. And, and so many companies are, are just focusing on those quick wins instead of, you know, are we actually adding value to people's life? Are we actually value to a relationship? Um, and so apart from cold emails, uh, what are the other kind of things in marketing that you think are just, we need to stop doing right now? Oh, I mean, I think like I really, which just seems weird coming from a guy who runs a metrics company, like for most people, metrics um, are the wrong thing to optimize. Like people try to optimize the number itself. So things like the number of followers or, you know, the number of comments on a blog post or a number of page views or whatever it is like optimizing Things like, you know, uh, so much in marketing, obviously, for measuring purposes, revolves around um, like conversion rates and things like that. And so what happens is people start optimizing for conversion rates. And, and that still kind of flows back to like the cold email example where somebody's like, well, you know, 2% of cold emails convert into a paying customer. Yeah, but like the other 98% hate your guts, man. Like <laughs> there's there's not, you can't just optimize for this single number. And um and I think like that's probably even the bigger point is like when I mentioned the vanity thing is like so many numbers in and of themselves are just vanity and don't actually mean anything. And so when you start optimizing for the number itself, instead of optimizing for like the goal of whoever you're trying to serve, then like it will always just like you will, it, it's always ends up being this race to the bottom of like, how can I increase conversion rates of this like pop-up or the increase conversion rates from like the responses on these emails or whatever it is, the more you optimize for the conversion rate or the number, the more you like just keep like hammering away to optimize that. And like you you've lost focus of the fact that like there's a human on the other side of that number. Yeah. And, and this is an interesting thing because when you focus on, on, on numbers too much like this, as you said, 2% and 98%, you need to think of those 98% of people, as you said, who hate your guts. In the long term, this is very bad for business. Uh, this, right. This destroys the trust that you that you that you have in that people have in you, and in the long term, that could kill you because trust is the only currency that that I believe can work in the long term in marketing. If people stop trusting you one by one, your market is decreasing. You know. goes away. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like I get these cold emails. Like if you cold email me trying to sell me something like a product and you're like asking me to hop on a phone call, like my response is to block that domain. So like you won't ever email me again. I will never see it. Like that's the end of the relationship. If you cold email me trying to sell me something um, like 
and there's tons of people that do that because it's just everybody's sick of getting those kind of emails. And like it just it, the payoff long term, it's just not there. Right. So two questions then. First, I'm going to start with one. How do you convince <laughs> people who are still using this type of, of tactics to, to maybe try something new? Um, and how do you convince them that, you know, this might also uh, lead to more value, more money for them in the long term if they do that? I mean, well, I, how do I convince them? I, I like, I guess, you know, me writing about it is sort of like me trying to convince them about it. Like, right. you, you know, for the reasons that we've laid out, like that the, the, the downsides, like, yes, maybe you can increase some obscure number, but like there's an inverse too of that. The, the other side of that number actually may be causing more harm in the long run than not. Um, and instead, so, what we I should mean, we do then? Because, okay, we know, we know we shouldn't really optimize for conversions and we know we should focus on, 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 on helping users reach their goals and people to reach, reach their goals and build relationships. But tactically speaking, um, what are, what are the, the marketing activities or, or, or thing you've done in the past that really seem to, to go hand in hand with this philosophy? So I think it comes down to, to being like a helpful resource to people. So for us, the way that we tackle that would be like the content marketing stuff, like writing about like how, like what's working or what's not working at bare metrics, the stuff that we're struggling with as we grow a business. So like that's marketing, like we're writing this stuff for people who we want to be our customers. But even if you never like contact our sales team, you never sign up for a free trial, like never have any actual interaction with the business outside of this article, like you've still gained some value. And so even if you'd never become a customer, you might still share that article with someone else who could become a customer or like the, the positive sort of brand branding that comes from that of like, man, bare metrics is just the guys, like the people there are so helpful. And so like you talk to your friends and other founders about that stuff. Like, it's all these like really intangible things, which annoys any kind of like marketing person to no end because you can't measure that stuff. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like trying to like measure like attribution when someone signs up. Like in reality, there are a thousand different things that play into someone uh, signing up for something. Um, but like we want so desperately to like attach it to someone read this article and then they signed up. We sent them an email and then they signed up like this just but it's there's no direct correlation like the path to signing up is is all over the place um and so i think like it's you just you have to look at the bigger picture and like try to actually just offer value and this is why i think that word of mouth as a channel like considering word of mouth as a channel is completely bullshit because it's the number one thing that people do they talk to each other and if you have a good right. product then yes, word of mouth happened, but you can't optimize for it. It just happens or it doesn't. It, it's, yes, it's not a channel. It's just like, it's, it just, it's this high level thing that exists. Exactly. And it's normal relationships between people. So right. I, I, I'm glad you said all of that because this is content marketing in particular is a, is a is very shiny and, and uh, word at the minute and everybody's using it and all of that. But I think deep down, the reason why content marketing works and writing content or publishing content. I mean, when I say good content, I mean, good content, helpful content, it works because it just builds trust over time and, and people have the liberty to consume it or not. They have the liberty to like stop listening to a podcast or not, or keep listening to it. And over time it builds relationships and it's not new, you know, the Michelin 
guide, you know, for restaurants started more than a hundred years ago as a small brochure that they were giving for free to cyclists. But that was content marketing, but it's just building trust and helping people. Yeah. And it's, I I think the the frustrating part when you, when anybody says like content marketing or, um, is like, it's such a slow thing. Like it takes a long time. It's you're, you're playing the long game with that. And, um, you know, it can take six, 12 months or longer before you like really start seeing any benefits from it. But it's one of these things that like keeps giving back for, for years because then not even just because like this article can keep getting read or, you know, surface in a search engine or whatever, but like using the content for other forms of content, turning some article into like a podcast or turning uh, an article into like a white paper or like, there's just a thousand different ways you can use content to be helpful to people. Um, and it, you just can't, it's really hard to measure. And like, I think a lot of people don't, they avoid it because of that. Yeah. It's almost a good sign, you know, like when, when right. things take so long and, but all are almost guaranteed to work if you do it right. It's, I would yep. say it's a good sign that you're actually building trust over time and that it just starts sure. to grow on its own. And, um, and, and our, this conversation right now we're having Josh is, is, is a testament to, to this is I started reading your articles and started to follow what you've been doing for the last four years, I think. And yep. I, I start, I said that at the very start of the conversations before the, before the podcast interview started that I feel like I know you very well. Obviously you don't know me, but I know you very well because of this. Right. And that creates sure. the trust. And I, tr- I feel I can trust you even if it's the first time I'm talking to you. Yep. And that's exactly right. Like, and, and that's been, um, intentional, but like also not the motivation behind it. Like I, I, so many people were helpful to me, you know, pre bear metrics that, um, it only made sense to like keep helping other people. And like, and that it so happens that that like works pretty well from a marketing standpoint too. Um, so I don't know that content marketing will obviously any, any kind of channel work will work for one person, but not for the other. Um, but I, you know, I think for us, it's like, it's been sort of a natural way for us to, to do marketing. Right. Um, so you're very, I mean, you're pretty opinionated, right? You have, you have, you have a, a strong point of view on a, on a lot of things. And I'm, I'm wondering yeah. where is that coming from? You know, is there a particular event in your life that you can pinpoint that made you who you are today? Somebody who's quite vocal and voicey about all of these issues. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think like I've just been doing it long enough. Like I think, I am, you know, I started like building sort of like software or just little businesses and stuff for the past 15 plus years. And so, um, I think over time I've just picked up a lot of sort of thoughts and insights on things and have opinions of like, um, you know, just cause something is like shiny doesn't mean that it actually works, you know? And so I, I think that just comes from like, um, I, I, I don't want to say the word experience like that, like assumes that I've like arrived or something, but like, (laughs) I, I think it just comes a lot from like doing things. Like, I think that's a huge problem with, um, new entrepreneurs is like, they just don't know any better. Like they haven't ever tried anything before. So it's like, it's easy to read an article that tells you to do something and then be like, okay, cool. It worked for them. So it'll work for me. And it's like, nah, that's not how it works. Like so much of, building a business is like trying something and it completely failing. 
Um, and so then you adjust and try something else. And it's just business is just a series of like trying and failing over and over again for years on end. And, um, I, most people like aren't willing to stick it out long enough to like eventually figure out something they, they want to like read an article and tells them what to do, or they want to like be able to just to like, you know, use some piece of software and it changes their business. Like it just doesn't work that way. And I think like, it's just been lots of me trying stuff and knowing that certain things work and certain things don't. Do you have entrepreneurs in your family? Have you been inspired by any? Um, I don't know that I've got like my, you know, my dad's an engineer. My mom, um, stay at home mom for years. I mean, like I, no, I don't have any direct entrepreneurs. I think where I come from is like, um, a lot of people in my families are like what I would describe as like a maker, like, they're really good at just like figuring things out or like hacking things together or having an idea and like making it become a reality. And so like that was part of my childhood from the start. And so like that sort of is what is, is, that's is what is instilled in me is like the, the ability to like have an idea and then like make it happen. And then like, I think I, for whatever reason, I've got this like entrepreneurial gene or bug, like, that I can attach to that. But at a core level, it's like, it's more like I'd love just making things or like making things become a reality out of nothing is sort of my thing. So I just enjoy that. What do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years or 50 years? I think they need to learn how to like step back and, and I miss the stuff that we've been talking about the step back and, and look at the bigger picture. Like have a much higher level view on things to not dig down and get obsessed with numbers, but instead like look look at like what the long term effect of something is, um, and understand that like there's much more at play than you know a single metric to optimize for. So linked to this answer, then w what would be the top three resources you would recommend listeners uh, around this topic, perhaps? Resources, um. I don't, maybe can I have an anti-resource? Like I, um, I, I almost, which doesn't necessarily fit having a podcast here. Um, I think most people should stop looking for resources and instead start just taking action on stuff. Like, okay. Maybe a resource would be like, learn how to program. It's like, if you're a marketer who can build stuff, like pretty great combo. So so let's um, go, go figure the, out how to make stuff. So you must know a few resources for that. What, what would be, you know, resources to learn how to program and code? Uh, there's a bunch of them. So like, uh, you know, it could be anything from, um, like Treehouse is great for like really basics of programming stuff. But then like, think of when I say programming or building stuff like that may not be like build a website. Like that may also, that may instead be like, learn more about like data science. So like, so you can build some sort of like, uh, you, you know, do stuff with machine learning and like be able to take large amounts of data and like find real insights from it. So, um, there's a, um, site called data camp that, um, is great for like teaching you how to, to do machine learning and just like statistical programming and things like that to like build like, you know, data models and all sorts of stuff around business. So, um, yeah, I think anywhere, anytime that you can like take something and turn it into something else, something more valuable, like 
anything around that, as far as resources goes, is pretty solid. Right. So, Josh, you've been a pleasure to, to talk to. Thank you so much for going through this exercise of step-by-step -step to build a, a new business and all of the other questions um, after that. Where can listeners connect with you and learn more from you? Yeah, um, on Twitter at Spigford, that's S-H-P-I-G-F-O-R-D, um, or shoot me an email, josh at bearmetrics.com. I'm happy to chat anytime. But make sure it's not a cold email. Make sure it's... It's just do, but don't try to sell me something, dang it. Do not. And not even a call or anything. <laughs> Fuck that shit, right? <laughs> oh. Right, Josh. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me, Louis. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a one-to-one as -one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get and I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests and perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday so don't be afraid to subscribe I'm not going to spam you and you can always uns unsubscribe for sure if you wish the second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback we know that this show is not perfect yet and we always Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content is coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.